Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, it is good to see you. And I know we are still basking in the glow of what Leonard Hamilton's squad did to Tony Bennett's Virginia Cavaliers on Monday night. That was impressive. I was sitting there, you know, following along and watching, and it got to halftime, and it was 45 to 25. And, Tommy, I've done a dozen games, well, 10 games, maybe eight games, where Florida State didn't score 45 points in 40 minutes, much less 20 minutes. I mean, it was an absolute offensive dominance, and defense wasn't bad either for FSU. I actually thought the defense, for as good as the three-point shooting was, that game to me, and when they just completely showed Virginia early on that they were going to own the game, it was about the defense and the effort. Virginia, they couldn't find passing lanes. They turned it over eight times in the first half, and they only averaged nine turnovers a game. They were 100% flustered offensively against the defensive effort they saw. Leonard talks all the time about uh, the, the fact that that turnover statistic, while important, uh, they measure other things like deflections, you know, where you alter the, the, the trajectory of the ball or where you, as you mentioned, you cut off a passing lane. There, there's ways that they track that. It's not just the turnover that we as normal fans see that they value. And they were doing that, in, you know, just unbelievably in that first 20 minutes. People have had 48 hours to process the win, so I don't want to go too much into specific moments from the game. I will point out that even though FSU had its best three-point shooting night of the year, really, early on, first two possessions of the game, they missed good looks on threes and fell behind 6-2. And then in the second half, when Virginia made its run, they had some good looks in there and missed them uh, as well. So it could have been even better. And if you take out the first two of the game, uh, you know, and lower the attempts, it's an even higher percentage. But eight different guys hit three-pointers. And so... Virginia was the top three-point shooting team in the league, and FSU, I think, was third, but it went the other way the other night. That That is – especially when Koprovitz is going to step out and hit a three, I'm not sure where you find that on the scouting report. I, I was just fixing to say when the eighth guy that makes a three is over seven foot tall and has never attempted one, uh, based on what I read and know in his entire collegiate career, uh, and all you got to do is, uh, and I'm sure it's uh, on uh, some form of social media, just watch that Florida State bench when he hits that three. I mean, it is very, very entertaining. Raekwon Gray has been the story lately with how he's played. Now, the other night, they swallowed the whistle, which the way FSU plays, it's going to be good if the officials let him play. That said, watching him, it's almost as if the game has slowed down a little bit for him. 
he he's he's always had tremendous skill and he's been better equipped maybe than what we would think because he's been overweight and this year is fourth year he's in better shape but he's reached a whole nother level and I, and as I was watching the other night it was three times really in the first five or six minutes of the game as soon as he drew the double team offensively he knew right away where to go with the ball to get somebody a good look now that sounds obvious and easy but it doesn't always happen in the flow and watching him play everything is in the flow right now and he's he's keeping his body balanced so that he's not leaning in and getting called for charges but he's still being strong to the rim he's just doing everything right right now he certainly worked as they say worked on his game and improved uh, we always I mean, his footwork w- was always amazing and continues to be amazing to me and his body control even though he is a big man uh, but that that second sense or third sense about when to do things i know uh, the coaching staff has spent a lot of time with him. I know he spent a lot of time working, uh, and you're exactly right. The ability to know one step ahead what's fixing to happen. All right, I'm fixing to take two more dribbles. I'm drawing this guy in. I've got this guy over here and this guy over here, and you're already thinking about it while you're taking those two dribbles makes him that much better. I want to invite Bob Ferrante to weigh in on this. Our Osceola Insider will join us next segment. But, Keith, here's my one Concern is maybe too strong a word, but it it does give me pause. We've seen this team when it plays like that, and it's had a lot of games this year. I mean, it's had double-digit leads on just about the entire ACC, save for laying an egg twice at Georgia Tech and at Clemson. They have not played many road games. Now, they had a great outing at Louisville, and I realize the NCAA tournament this year is not Well, it never is. It's not a true road environment. It's a neutral court. But you are out of your element. You're in a hotel. You're different than what you're doing. Do you have any pause at all, given the way it's worked out with the COVID pauses for Florida State, that they really just have not played many road games? Well, uh, learning to play on the road uh, in terms of the travel, and then you're staying in a different uh, environment in terms of the bed you're sleeping in and all that, you know, that comes with maturity. Uh, An older team, in theory, and probably in practice, would be better. The thing I, I can, I'm concerned about that kind of plays off of that that we've talked about is that according to how we know it as outsiders, when they leave to go to Greensboro, they may be gone for three or four weeks. That's the part of it that causes me to have concerns. Um, you know, I think a two-day trip, you know, an overnight trip, those types of things, you can, they haven't had many of them, but you can kind of get used to those quicker but being away for that extended period of time, you know, that may be a real good thing or it may be a real bad thing. So I'm not really answering your question per se. I'm amplifying it. But, yeah, there is concern there. And that's a cumulative effect you're pointing to, which if they're into the third week already, we don't want that to be the reason they bow out. But if they've stuck around that that long, they have made some progress. I just I, – the statistic, actually, I looked at it the uh, – the top eight teams in the ACC right now, they're 41 and four in conference home games. So there is something to now that now I don't know what the number is normally in a non COVID year, but that strikes me as being even higher than it would normally be for the ACC. I would but agree. May, maybe it's right in line, but it feels like it's a tick higher. Um, so I don't know if that speaks to the other teams. Uh, not being as accustomed to it just because of the disjointed nature of this year or more the home team. It's, it's less of a disruption to what they do, which would be in play in a normal year. But I I found that number to seem high 41 and four for the top eight teams. It's certainly interesting whether we can pin down cause and effect. I don't know, but uh, it's certainly an outlier. 
Florida State basketball, hopefully in line to play Virginia Tech this week. I say that because Virginia Tech had a midweek game canceled. And as you and I speak, we don't know if that game's still on. If it's not, there may be a chance that Florida State can add somebody else that's already been canceled. The disappointing thing in all this, Keith, is that despite just whipping Virginia, Florida State, even if it wins out, may still not be able to claim the ACC regular season crown just based on a disparity in the number of games played unless Virginia loses again or has a COVID or contact tracing issue on its end and has to shut down. You hate to say this out loud, but it's um, it's probably in FSU's best interest, particularly of the upcoming game or, or any afterwards. I think there's, what, five or six left in the season, whatever it is. You know, you, you may start lobbying to get a replacement instead of just throwing up your hands and saying, well, okay, we're not playing on Saturday. You know, somebody may be on the phone saying, uh, what can we do? Who can we call? How can we make this work if, if that's an option? Because you want to get those games in. Yeah, and I'm speaking more to the conference games and the conference race. No, that's what I'm talking to as well. Yeah, well, I mean, because North Carolina added a non-conference game midweek, but they're a little different. They're on the bubble. They need more wins and more games. I don't know if FSU would try to do that. No, I don't think so they would. But I, I do think they would lobby or should lobby for conference replacements. What do you think of Sadar Calhoun? Let's change the subject here. Leonard has had effusive praise for him since the start of the season, and you can see the athleticism. He hit the biggest shot of the game the other night, in my opinion, when Virginia cut it to seven and Florida State needed an answer, and he hit the three. I don't know if that takes him to a different level. I don't know if there's an opportunity to get to a different level this year just simply from where he is in the rotation. I do know that it's problematic for the opposition if the seventh or eighth guy, whatever he is, is going to give you what he gave you the other night. I think the issue with him is consistency. You see the athleticism. I'm told he has a wonderful work ethic. But does that translate consistently on the hard court? And I would think, knowing Leonard uh, and, and particularly Coach Stan, um, that, that you know, they, they're not going to be as inclined to use him until he demonstrates that consistency. It'll come. I think it's just a matter of time. But in answer to your question, if I had to answer it today, that would be my response as to why and how. But, yeah, the upside is really, really big. Keith, this is a first. Do you realize what we just did? Well, it's a first in a while. Listening. Full segment. We only talk basketball. How about that? We'll uh, expand the conversation, continue it, and then expand it. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, joins us next here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, and we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our good friend, Bob Frante from the Osceola. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. We just did a whole segment, didn't talk football, so we'll continue it when the basketball team plays the way it does or did the other night. We might as well start there, right? So uh, let, let's, let's expand on what Keith and I have already touched on. I did ask Keith, I'm curious your opinion. I said the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on this team is they've really not had to play away from home very much. And two of the three results when they've been away from home have not been great. So is that, does that matter? I mean, it's a neutral site postseason once you get there. 
But then again, you are out of your element and not in the friendly confines of the tuck. Yeah, I think if the schedule plays out the way it is now, and, and who knows how that's going to play out, of course. Um, they're at Miami, North Carolina, and Notre Dame. And I think, I think the big thing is just really those are kind of neutral games in a, in a certain sense because it's just crowds aren't allowed in a lot of arenas. But it's just being away from home, not sleeping in your bed, traveling, just getting used to, to the business trip. So, yeah, that's, that's maybe the one question is just how does that team play away from, you know, sleeping in your own bed? But um, I, I've said to a lot of people, I think Florida State, when it's playing its best, not making mistakes, not in foul trouble, fully healthy, no injuries, it's, it's really one of the best teams in the country. Now, you know, Gonzaga, this, Baylor, that, who knows on any – court it, it could go either way but but Florida State you know looks very much like a top 10 team I was telling uh Tommy that uh if they were to play Virginia Tech and win they might very well move up maybe 11 maybe 12 but there's a chance to break into that top 10 with the run that uh, that would then complete you know I, I just wrote you know partly yesterday about uh, about the Virginia game, and I tried to say rankings and bracketology don't really matter right now. You know, we're still three, four weeks away from from when the selection shows are going to happen, and and how how do you evaluate certain games and records and all that? But I do think respect is important, and and I do think fans are seeking that respect for this program more than internally players and coaches are. Um, you know, January before I think the North Carolina game, this team was, was unranked in the AP poll, 25th in the coaches poll. I, I think this, this rise is, is quite impressive, but I think everybody who watches the program says they had it in them. It was just kind of putting the pieces together. But the, the interesting thing is definitely the respect card. And I'll be curious, you know, as more people nationally evaluate this team and weigh it against say a big 10 school, a PAC 12, other conferences, whatever, you know, where does Florida state stack up? I think everybody in the ACC gets what Florida state is and where it stacks up. It's just a question of nationally, where do you put the Seminoles? Well, and nationally, the conversation is the ACC is down North Carolina. Duke may not make the tournament. North Carolina is a bubble team and Virginia has gotten blown out every time they've played a good opponent. So I think nationally the conversation is, was that Florida state or was that Virginia's overvalued and, and drilling deeper. I'm not sure how Florida state moved up to a four seed on somebody's mock. I'm not sure how much further they can go based on what they have left. What do you think? I think it's a really good discussion because usually we're talking about how many ACC teams are going to get in. Is it going to be eight? Is it going to be nine or 10? You know, what kind of respect does the conference have? And this year it's the opposite. Um, I, I do think it was kind of interesting. You know, a lot of people going into the Florida state Virginia game were, well, we're going to see what Florida state is made of. They're going to have to adjust to what Virginia does, the efficiency, um, you know, just their, their style, the pack line defense and all that. And as it turned out, Florida State, you know, just just blew out Virginia. I mean, that first half was was really, really impressive just to see what they were able to do. And as Coach Hamilton mentioned, Virginia made shots, but but Florida State was just so red hot with the energy. To answer your question honestly, I don't know how much more Florida State can move up, but I do think these kind of premier time slots, a big Monday, 
a big matchup. You know, if, if Florida State can knock off a ranked team in Virginia Tech, if it can continue this run, not necessarily undefeated, but just continue it, I think that's that's going to be enough to, to potentially secure a, a three. Is a two unrealistic? Maybe. But we just have to kind of see how the other teams do, too. Do they lose some games? How the conference tournaments play out, et cetera? Well, Bob, just, are you comfortable? Excuse me, Tommy. Bob, are you comfortable in um, verbally out loud saying that uh, MJ Walker has turned the corner and is not is no longer just a streak shooter? I mean, he was five for six. That's streaky. But has he turned the corner? You know, I think it's it's interesting. We're going to kind of evaluate his career now coming up because he's was about seven points shy of a thousand, which is a, a really cool number. Even though a lot of guys at Florida State have done it, you kind of look at his body of work and you say, well, yeah, he's he's been a scorer. But I think his evolution, his maturation, is he's more than that. He's he's a leader. Um, he's an assist guy. But he had he had ten assists in one game a couple of weeks ago, which is just just crazy for a, a shooting guard, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not something that you would expect outside of a Trent Forrest or, or a true point. Um, but for him as a leader, I think is really impressive. And, um, you know, talking with him last week, first story I'm trying to run, you know, later on ahead of this Virginia tech game, I, I think there was pressure on him because he was viewed as a McDonald's all American type. And there's always going to be that national hoopla you know, of that's a guy who's going to be a one or two year type. And MJ said he had those kind of thoughts at times, but really saw the big picture. And it was about enjoying the college process, developing himself, getting his degree, something he'll earn, you know, in, in April or May. So I think he, he kind of embraced the college atmosphere and the family that, that coach Hamilton has here. And, and yeah, I think initially he was just a streaky shooter early on, and that's just totally evolved as, as we've kind of seen his game flourish. Bob, this week Jalen Johnson from Duke opted out, focus on the NBA. You contrast that with here's Scotty Barnes, who seems to have more fun scoring four points and not really caring about whether it's 20 points, uh, but contributing – and this really goes to the culture. I'm not going to suggest that Scotty Barnes is coming back next year, but I am curious with Raekwon Gray, who could come back next year, and Balsha, who's developed, and I'm not even suggesting that they're ready for the NBA, but they could collect checks internationally, certainly, at the least. Do you think they come back, those two? Raekwon Gray is going to graduate in April or May. I think as a four-year guy, he's, he's well-positioned to go to the NBA if that's what he so chooses. Can he improve? Boy, it's really hard to argue right now because this last month has just been so incredible for him. Um, just the all-court game. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd love to have him back, but I, I think just reading the tea leaves, um, I, I think he's got a decision to make and, and he'll probably end up going pro would be my my hunch. Um, with Balsa, I think he could definitely you know take a step forward next year just because um, – there, there was time lost on, on the court because of COVID over the summer, that development time, that time with coach Stan Jones, who's really helped him in every facet. Um, the problem is with every step that, that Balsa seems to take, you know, an 18 footer, a three pointer that came out of nowhere. He had never taken a college three pointer until the shot clock was going down Monday night. And he just had the confidence to drill it. 
And I think you see that, you see the ball handling and you say, well, he certainly is a guy who can jump, but do you want to develop yourself even further and maybe lock yourself in as a first round type? Then, then he's going to have to come back. Um, these are good discussions. These are good discussions about FSU basketball that, that guys are really positioning themselves, you know, to follow in the footsteps of their former teammates and, and the guys who have, you know, frankly also had those decisions and had to weigh their options too. Final hoops question. Uh, we're recording earlier than this is airing live uh, locally on ESPN Tallahassee. Do we think this Virginia tech game is going to happen? And if it doesn't, is there an option to play somebody else in the league this weekend? Yeah, we've been kicking it around too. Frankly, I just want to see Florida State play somebody on Saturday. I don't know what what the options are going to be. It, it sounds like um, like Boston College would not be one. Um, Virginia Tech had to give up its midweek uh, this week because of the protocol. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see an email come across, uh, you know, at some point Thursday from ACC Communications. And I always kind of cringe whenever I see those emails because regardless of Florida State or somebody else, it's not often good news. Um, but, but yeah, bottom line, would love to see them play somebody. Can they play the Green Vipers and we count it? <laughs> <laughs> I think people would show up to watch. That's, that's the most impressive thing is you could, you could do um, shirts and skins and, and people would show up at the tuck to watch that game. Okay, let's move off basketball. We've set a record on uh, Front Row Knowles, which is a testimony to and a tribute to Leonard Hamilton and what that program has accomplished. This is sort of off-season minutia for those who aren't hardcore, I guess I would I would say. But uh, Florida State has made some hires behind the scenes. Uh, Ryan Barto, director of high school relations, now. I don't know what you can add to that. Again, it's it's the kind of thing we talk about in February and March and not so much in August and September when there's football taking place on the field. You know, when this position came open, my first thought was Norvell has to find somebody with South Florida ties, you know, to, to bring in a, a recruiter type. Um, you're not going to be able to go on the road, do avowals and all that, but somebody who is well-connected, you know, their cell phone has all the contacts, for everybody in, in Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, around the state too. And, and it's interesting that Coach Norvell has not hired a coach here, but, you know, Ryan Bartow is a guy who's really extremely well-connected. And I think, you know, from what I've heard, you know, at places like Oregon and Syracuse, really um, a big part of those uh, official visits, you know, meeting recruits and prospects and getting to know them or, He's known their high school coaches and getting to know moms and dads, for example. But I think coming up when this dead period ends, and, and hopefully it is April 15th, um, it, it's going to be a big deal getting prospects to camp on campus in June or July is going to be huge moving forward for Coach Norvell and the staff. And a guy like Ryan Bartow who knows coaches and can encourage them, hey, let's, let's get your guys up here. We want them to see Tallahassee in the campus that's just going to be really important for future recruiting classes, 2022 and beyond. I've heard it said that uh, managing the juniors and seniors for junior days and then official visits and all that is kind of like herding cats, the age old expression. And, you know, we oftentimes do take an on the field guy and put him into that administrative inclined role, but, but Barto's not any of that. He has been in that role 
he's done some on-field evaluations for recruiting services and stuff. But uh, I think it's pretty impressive that, uh, you know, he's been in that type of environment for that long. Certainly, you know, you know he's seen all the tricks, knows all the tricks, and that should be a great, great uh, advantage in, a, in addition to FSU. Yeah, I think it's a really uh, it's a really good hire, and and really the fact that he has experience at Oregon and Syracuse, so he's worked for Mario Cristobal and Dino Babers. I, I think that that strengthens his resume. He's not truly coming out of um, you know sports writing and being an analyst. He's he's had two years where he's gotten to do this at at other programs, and you know it, it sounds like you know to credit what Dino Babers was able to do recently at Syracuse. He was pulling in recruits um, from areas where, you know, Ryan Bartow had helped strengthen relationships. So again, if that continues here, if that, if that pipeline down to South Florida can be rebuilt in part because of what Ryan does, you know, I think that's, that's made the hire, you know, worth it for sure. We're going to talk baseball in our next segment with uh, Chase Haney. So I'll hold off here now. Uh, wrap things up momentarily with you, Bob. Thoughts on Gus Malzahn to UCF and how that impacts this recruiting discussion and the landscape of college football here in the state of Florida. Well, what I heard was that he was the the best coach in the state of Florida. You know, I think the, the UCF AD was uh, puffing out his chest a little bit at, at what a good hire he made. You know, this state is going to be really tough to recruit just with every single hire. And it's it's in part because Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state and everybody, Georgia, they're all going to come down here anyway. Um, you know, the big three are probably not going to go incredibly head to head with say a Florida Atlantic, a South Florida, but will some guys just say, Hey, I, I want to stay closer to home and go to UCF. Um, we, we just haven't seen a ton of head to head recruiting battles between Florida state and, and a UCF. Although you could look at that UCF roster and say there's a lot of guys there who can play in Tallahassee. And obviously the Seminoles have, you know, Mackenzie Milton and, and Bam Moore off, off that roster as transfers. Um, I think it's a good thing to kind of watch in the years moving forward and to talk to recruiting analysts, whether it's a, a guy like Orion Bartow or our own Charles Fishbein, just how does a, a Malzahn hire impact everything in the, in the big picture, as far as just everybody's chasing those, those high end five-star, four-star, and even the best three stars too. Well, I know one thing guys, over the last 40 years, there's been times when Miami had some real good coaches and Florida had some real good coaches and Florida state had some real good coaches. So the competition there uh, has been going on for quite some time. And now you add um, USF and FAU and UCF, uh, we've said for a long time, there's a lot of talent in Florida. And if it can stay in Florida, there's probably enough for everybody. Uh, but it will be interesting. To me, this is a power five conversation and maybe an expanded playoff conversation. If you could go to UCF and legitimately thought that you had a chance to compete in the playoffs someday, then it might hurt the big three, so to speak. But until then, I don't know how much it it will compete. We'll see. I mean, UCF's at a high profile, uh, certainly of late. Bob, appreciate it. Take care, guys. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We will turn our attention to opening day and FSU baseball right after this on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We uh, thank Bob Ferrante from the Osceola for joining us. We keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open, and we say hello uh, to one of the stars and leaders of this Florida State baseball team. And as we introduce him, I can just start by saying I'm happy that we're actually talking baseball again because when this whole pandemic started, we were into baseball season, and that's sort of our last memory. But Chase Haney joins us. So, Chase, good to see you. And how excited are you to know that we're three days away from opening day, finally? Yeah. First off, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're extremely excited. It's been over a year or almost a year that since we've uh, been playing another team. Uh, we've been doing a lot of inter-squad scrimmages, so the guys are definitely ready to get going and play some competition. Chase, we talk in football that when you go through uh, fall camp, you're tired of beating up on each other. You want somebody else. You guys have been scrimmaging a lot. I'm sure you'd like to see a different colored jersey somewhere. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I think the hitters are starting to pick up on the pitch sequences and uh, picking up on when I'm going to throw my slider and, and how it moves. And, you know, they're starting to tee off on it. So, I mean, me especially, I'm, I'm ready to get going and play some other guys that haven't seen my stuff. And, you know, I think the other guys on the team would say the same thing. We're talking with Chase Haney. He is a senior for Florida State, uh, a pitcher, a captain. I, I hate, Keith, that we, we go down this road every time we have somebody on, but it's germane to the conversation. As a leader, and to your point about facing the same guys, how did you guys stay focused, motivated? How did you make it interesting so that you don't get lackadaisical during what's been now 11 and a half months of not playing somebody else? Yeah, I mean, it's been tough, um, obviously, but we've kind of had some little incentives, um, you know, within the clubhouse. And, you know, we'll, we'll split up into a garnet and gold team and the winning team gets their cleats cleaned by the other team. So we kind of do little things like that. Um, just to keep it competitive and uh, just so we're every pitch means something, every at bat means something. And I think that's been the biggest thing for us going forward. And hopefully we'll be prepared, uh, you know, Saturday. You've been at this a while and that's an understatement. Keith joked, we're going to start calling you Chris Winky. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is your sixth year now and you're in a sport when guys, you know, depending on their age, they might come in and only play two years more typical. It's a, it's a three years. Uh, so are you grandpa to the rest of the team? I mean, what's the nickname? Absolutely. Gramps, grandpa, Chaz, I got them all. Um, you know, they're coming up with new ones every day. So I'm just trying to take it for what it's worth. And, uh, I'm happy to be here though. I mean, it's been such a blessing to be here for six years. And when I stepped foot on campus six years ago, I never thought that I'd, I'd still be here, but you know, I thank God every day for it. And it's been amazing. Chase, you got off to a wonderful start last year. I think if I read correctly, you were a 3-0, and a 129, 139 ERA, and then season stops. Take us back to there, and what have you been working on since then to bring you to where you are today? I think the biggest thing was just making sure I was doing what I needed to do over quarantine and whether it's working out and uh, keeping my arm in shape and, you know, just staying consistent uh, with what I'm doing. You know, there were some days you wake up and, there's there's no really plan for that day and you kind of just got to figure out something to do and um, I had some guys here in town with me and we, we kind of just made sure that we were throwing keeping our arms in shape and working out um, as much as we could so 
um, I think along with the other guys, everyone kind of did their best to stay in shape. And when everyone showed up, we, we looked pretty good. So I think everyone took care of business over quarantine and, um, and further. Talk about your routine a little bit as a guy who's, I mean, you're not a starter that's throwing a hundred pitches once a week, but you might throw three times in a week in them and you're out there every other day. So there's, there's gotta be a difference in the routine and how you prepare and maybe what your limits are. And I, and I know that's your role, but it's, it's markedly different than a lot of guys to be able to go out as frequently as you do. Yeah. Um, I, that's been the, that was the biggest thing for me when I first came in, you know, being a bullpen guy and in high school, I was a starter. So at my freshman year, I really learned how to listen to my arm and, and, um, 11 and coach Martin, they're, they're really good about asking before the game, how you feel. And if you, if you don't say it with hundred percent confidence that you feel good, they won't pitch you that game. Um, so for me, it's just kind of listening to my arm and, um, you know, there's been times where I've thrown three pitches in the bullpen and been in the game. So I think it's that adrenaline along with, you know, just taking care of my arm on the off days and, and staying in shape as much as I can. Now, Chase, this is going to be a stupid question, and I'm asking it so our listeners are used to me doing that. <laughs> but normally, if you're coming out of the bullpen, you're 5'10", 5'11". I mean, you stride out there. It takes four steps to get to the – at 6'6". Six, six. I mean, what in the world? You ever get teased about that? All the time. <laughs> my running form isn't the best, so uh, my teammates give me a little hard time about that. But uh, it's all fun and games, and, I mean, I just – take it for what it's worth and go out there and however long it takes me to get to the mound. I hope I get off as fast as I got out there. You've been around long enough and, and we'll get to this and, and your connection uh, with, with Mike Martin now coached by my Mike Martin jr. But from a pitching coach standpoint, uh, I, I feel like when the, when the staff turned over last year at the start of last season, the season didn't play out long enough for us to really get to know the new assistants. Tell us a little bit about, uh, Jimmy Bellinger uh, as your pitching coach and, and, you know, maybe his style and what he brings there. Yeah, he's been great for us. Um, you know, in the past, I've been lucky with Coach Bell and then uh, Coach Clyde. Um, and then to have Coach Bellinger come in, it was a, it was a huge um, hire for Florida State, I think. Um, in his first year, I mean, we had a great team ERA. Um, and I would say his style, he just – he's very personable with the players. And I think that we have full trust in him. And I think that's important because he's the one calling pitches and, and we truly believe in, in what he's teaching us and what he's telling us to do day in and day out. Um, and he's just, he's been great for all of us in terms of, you know, keeping our head level and, and um, keeping us motivated to get out there. And he's not a guy that's going to shut you down when you're, when you're not pitching well, he wants you to get back out there the next day and work on what may not be um, what you may not have been doing well that day before. Um, so he's really good at getting you back out there and, and staying positive. Now, Chase, you're in a little bit of a unique situation. Uh, it was announced that uh, the Jersey number 11 is going to be retired. Uh, Meat uh, is now the coach and his predecessor 11 is having that Jersey retired and you're still wearing it, but I'm curious, what number did you have when you got here? Cause you also played under 11. So I know you didn't wear his number. No, how did that, tra- how did that come uh, about? Yeah, now I wore uh, 33 the first five years of my career, and then uh, Meek came to me probably two weeks ago and, and kind of told me the idea behind it and asked me if I'd want to wear the number. Um, and at first I was shocked. You know, it's obviously an incredible opportunity for me and for 11, and um, it's something that Meek wanted to, to carry on 11's legacy, and 
11 wanted it to happen too. Um, and I'm just extremely humbled to have the opportunity to wear it. And I know it, the number means a lot to the college baseball world, the impact that he's made on the university and college baseball as a whole. So um, it's something that I'm going to wear with great pride and I'm going to do my best to perform in it. And, and this is different than the football side when they've got so many guys on the roster that you sort of retire a jersey, but they still need the number down the road. You're going to be the last one to wear number 11. I mean, maybe that won't set in until the last time you take the uniform off this year, but that's, uh, that's going to be a pretty good story to tell down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that uh, what, what me, how me kind of described it to me was that um, someone who is capable, I guess, of wearing the number – um, so maybe five years from now, there's another player um, that's that's w- capable to wear the number, will wear the number. So it's kind of a number that's going to be passed down to uh, certain okay. players among the years. So we'll see. I may be the last. I may be one of 20. We'll see. But uh, like I said, it's it's a great opportunity, and I'm extremely humbled to have that. Well, the, the word he was looking for there, Chase, the word you were looking for there is worthy. Are you worthy to wear <laughs> that number? And I will tell you, having known 11 and known me since before he even played ball at Florida state, them picking you is a great Testament and you need to be very proud of that. Thank you. Tell us about 11 that said, and also meet, I mean, obviously Mike jr. Was on the staff with 11. Now he's in a little bit of different role, but uh, I'm interested in the similarities and differences from your standpoint in their styles. Uh, first, their styles, but secondarily, I guess, their baseball philosophy, too. Yeah, so I, th- I caught 11 at the back end of his career, obviously. And, you know, I've heard some stories from 11 back in the day, and I don't think they were quite the same as what I experienced. 11 was more of a, a loving guy um, when I was when I played under him and uh, – you know, some of the stories I heard in the past were pretty intense. So I, I don't think I ever got to see that side of 11. But uh, I assume that his coaching style was the same. Um, I mean, he was just a very personable guy, um, cared about his players and, you know, seemed to always make the right decision. And, uh, you know, he passed it down to Meet, and Meat's been nothing but great for our, for our team, especially our hitters. Um, he kind of gives Coach Bellinger uh, his – his role with the pitchers and kind of lets them run with it, which has been nice for us because we really get to, to build that trust in uh, coach belly. And then, um, you know, me, he just, he's, he's got, he's very intense with us and he, you know, he makes sure that we're doing the right thing at all time on and off the field. And, you know, he's been great for us and, you know, I'm excited for the season to get going. Well, tell us about the staff. First of all, I know every time I look at a headline headline, social media. I don't actually subscribe to the paper anymore. Although Keith, probably you still get the physical copy at your house. Don't you go I've ahead. Graduated. I can read it electronically. Now. Okay. I was just much. checking. Uh, it's talking about velocity and how many guys are throwing, you know, and are hitting mid nineties. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a big part of that is who was recruited and the arm strength they had coming in. But is part of that also attributable to what uh, coach Bellinger is doing from a, a form or practice or, or, or whatever standpoint and, and just kind of expound upon what you like from this staff. Absolutely. Um, I mean, as the freshmen come in every year, I've seen five classes now and they just seem to keep throwing harder and harder every year. Um, But I would also say that we've had some guys that were supposed to come in at 86 to 88, 88 to 90. And, you know, their first outing, they're 92, 94. And I think it does um, pay a credit to uh, Coach Bellinger and what he's done with us. You know, he has us all on like a a very strict program, um, weighted balls, bands, um, stretching routines, 
Um, he's very religious with what he teaches and he makes sure that we're always following uh, his plans. And, um, and I just think from a, from a standpoint of pitching and it's important to have guys that throw hard. And then you have guys like me that don't throw as hard and that kind of come from the funky arm angle. So we have a good mix of guys and, um, you know, we're looking pretty good as a staff and we're, we're extremely deep this year. And as far as the everyday lineup, I know you commented earlier that the, the, the hitters are at the point, they know the pitch sequence and what you're trying to throw. Who's the, the these names are going to be familiar as we get to them, but who's the guy you least want to face or you're most concerned about? Maybe you most want to face him, but you're most concerned that he's going to be able to hit you. Uh, I would say Elijah Bell, just because his power is the top-notch power I've seen since I've been here. Um, he has the ability to, to hit a ball out on his front foot and just kind of flick one out. So you, you got to be very uh, particular with how you throw him and what kind of pitches you throw him. So his power is just incredible. All right, Chase, you're in year number six. You surely have perfected your 11 imitation by now. Oh, geez. Do you ever get asked about it? Do you ever get asked for it? Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard, uh, I've had some people ask me, uh, say one of his favorite quotes or, or something like that, but I kind of got his voice down a little bit, I think. Well, well you can't tease us like that. Now's your just, chance. Give me something to say. Uh, let's see what, uh, all right. Well, you were, you were on a team that said, give me a, we're going back. We're going back. <laughs> my best <laughs> we, we'll, we'll wrap things up on that note so uh you, you were part of that team you you've pitched out in Omaha uh you got a lot of new teammates guy you know you have some teammates that have been out there but some who haven't I know that's always the end goal uh how do you convey that uh how much do you guys talk about it and, and just having that experience in your in your memories overall uh, I know you always cherish it yeah, so I think the most important – I mean, we the good thing about getting a lot of guys back from uh, COVID is that we do have a lot of guys that know what it takes to get there. And I think the biggest thing is just to continue to, to implement it into the younger guys' heads of, of what it takes to get there and, you know, the daily routine and showing up every day and, and making every practice count. Um, you know, I try to do my best by subtly throwing videos on in the locker room of, of post uh, post Omaha runs that we've had of teams that I've been on, you know, if guys have questions, just little things like that, just to kind of keep it in their mind and, and to really, you know, know why we're here and, and know what we're trying to do. And promise them uh, milkshakes and uh, those types of things. When you yeah, get out there. Got to get, got to get some <laughs> Zestos. Hey, we'll, we'll finish up on this. So uh, going back to the lineup real quick. So you mentioned Cabell. I mean, uh, Reese is in there. Uh, Robbie, I guess. What I mean, just tell me what you like about this everyday lineup from what you've seen going against them. I would just say the mix that we have of guys, you know, we have some guys that can lay down bunts. We have some guys that can hit home runs. And uh, I think the biggest thing with this year from past years is that we have four to five guys that could hit 15 plus home runs this year um, from the left and right side. So uh, I think we're looking good. And, you know, these guys, they've stayed healthy, um, knock on wood. But, um, yeah, we're looking good. I mean, they're, like I said before, the, you know, they haven't seen – um, other competition other than our pitchers and in a little close to a year so um, it'll be interesting to see but you know based off what we've seen this past um, fall and early spring um, we're, we're looking good well I know you will but uh, as you probably won't get a seventh year enjoy this one <laughs> yeah I said that last year we'll see 
All right. Jay Saney uh, from Florida State's baseball team. Good luck this season. We'll take a break and come back and wrap things up on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom and KJ back to wrap things up on Front Row Knowles. Great conversation to, to speak with Chase Haney. I mean, when you get a 60-year guy, Keith, he's almost been around as, as long as you and I have. Well, let's don't curse him. But he did say one thing that I found just – I was just chuckling to myself. I didn't say anything about it when he was on. But he was talking about getting 11 at the tail end of his career, and maybe it was a little more mellow, and I think he used the term loving. You know, for old guys like me that were in the early years of Coach Bowden, who is – because he's been gone for what, 10 years now, he's remembered as the grandfatherly type and the one that was always making jokes and he was so funny. And let me tell you something, that wasn't who I played for. <laughs> he was very focused. He was very competitive and he wasn't necessarily always nice. Uh, so uh, I, I was just sitting there chuckling when he was talking about the uh, transformation as it was perceived with 11. Same thing can be said about coach couple things to clean up there, and Chase sort of set us straight. So he's not actually going to be the last one to wear jersey number 11, but it's something that Florida State baseball will bring back, not necessarily annually, but as uh, necessitated by the worthiness of who might be on the team at the time. So maybe you'll see somebody wear it next year. Maybe it'll be five years from now. But it's going to be somebody – it's a way to bring Mike Martin's number and name and uh, accomplishments – and culture back into the conversation. And it makes sense. I know LSU football, lots of programs do it. LSU football does it with the Jersey number 18 um, and others do it. So I think that's, that's cool that they're going to bring it back like that. Uh, I'm told that there'll be a uh, reveal uh, of the Jersey, you know, permanent uh, placement out somewhere in the outfield out there by Hauser and and JD. Uh, And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one of those guys I've said, you know, LSU has it. Other teams have it where, you know, on any given year, you pick someone to wear that selected Jersey. So they wear it for only one year, but it is worn every year. It's awarded every year. And I think what Florida State is trying to do uh, with the jersey is taking it up another notch so that it's given to someone who's worthy of it, but that doesn't mean there is someone worthy every year. So it's a truly outstanding individual that will have the honor of wearing that jersey. I think that's kind of neat. And if you're the coach, you're hoping that somebody aspires and elevates to that worthiness on an annual basis, because that'd be a good problem to have. The other thing we didn't talk about with Chase is that he may begin the year as Florida State's closer. Uh, we we didn't go name by name through it, but you got so many guys that are throwing ninety plus, and it seems like while there are decisions to be made, there they may be tough decisions, which that's a good problem to have. It's not like saying, "Well, we got to use these three guys, and after that, we got to piece it together." You're com- coming at it from the other way. We got a lot lar- lot of arms we can lean on, and we need to narrow it down after we see them pitch for a little bit. Uh, agreed. And again, I think one of the things that uh, they'll be looking for, and we've used this term already in this uh, uh, show, you know, talking about NJ Walker is just Chase's consistency. And if he can come out there and perform consistently in that closer role, it's probably his to lose. And um, if you want to think about it that way. 
Baseball's opener on Friday got pushed to Saturday, and then there's a doubleheader on Sunday playing UNF this weekend as the baseball season gets started. You know, I feel for all the coaches and student athletes who had to shut down their seasons over the last year or have them greatly altered. It really hit home for Mike Jr. for me as a guy who waited so long and then didn't know if he would ultimately succeed his dad and did. And he gets 17 games in and it's, uh, hey, thanks, Mike. We'll see you whenever. And then we had him on the show a couple times. He really wanted to, to, to get approval to play some fall ball in terms of playing other teams. And that didn't come to fruition. I think there were budget concerns, not just at FSU, but everywhere. And there were COVID concerns. So bottom line, he gets to get back at it. And I, you know, you'd rather, I think he would have rather had a full body of work to assess what he did, but he coached 17 games and has now had 10 months to think about what he got right and what he got wrong. I hear you. The other thing, and we didn't talk with Chase about this, but you know, the overall thought is because of the restricted draft last year and someone like a Chase Haney coming back who, who would not have had that opportunity of not for COVID, uh, that, that, that ability to bring everybody back, how much, if any, how much better will the pitching be and will the hitting be? Because you have older kids playing and you'll have kids that in prior years would be playing in Topeka, Kansas or somewhere that are now playing for Clemson or Georgia Tech or Florida or FSU. And so will the entire college game be elevated a little bit this year? That'll be interesting to look for. Yeah, it's a good point. It's easy to look at the roster and go, man, they've got a lot of experience, but every other team can say the same thing for for the same reasons. So baseball season gets going. Uh, basketball season, we hope, continues again as we're recording. We don't know about Florida State and Virginia Tech. Uh, I really would love to see him play somebody if that Virginia Tech game doesn't go off as scheduled. And then to Bob's point, they do have a few more road games scheduled if Florida State can go through unscathed without any more contact tracing issues leading up to that ACC tournament. Uh, but but going back maybe to, to finish where we started, Keith, and, and to talk a little bit more about MJ Walker, it's surprising to me just because he's been such a regular and a starter for so long that he's not already at a thousand points. When I compare him to like a Terrence Mann, who he was on the court a lot, but we never thought of him as, as being much of a, well, he was a scorer, not a shooter. Um, but it speaks to the way Leonard manages his roster and all that. And, and, and he's going to get there whenever the next game is. I'm sure he's seven points away, but I just, in the back of my head, I'm thinking I've been watching M day shoot threes forever. He's probably at 13, 1400 points, but that's not well, the way up. This is going to load. This is going to sound like a critical comment, and I don't, I don't mean it that way, but that was the genesis of my question of Bob because MJ's problem was he would score 13 points and score 16 points, and then he'd score two points and three points and four points. And, you know, it would average out to be somewhere, but he has improved that consistency, in my estimation, greatly. Uh, and obviously you're not going to go five for six from three, uh, you know, every night out. Uh, but I've been very impressed. And I think Bob's comment, your observations are, are much better. He's become a much better player. He's a good defender. Uh, that double digit, you, I don't care who you are. If you do it one time in your career, you get double digit assists. That's a game to remember. And uh, he's done all those things. And I think, uh, I think he has turned the corner and I'm very, very happy and proud for him. I've, I've had the opportunity to watch him his career. I've, had an opportunity to get, you know, his dad a little bit and a uh, great family, uh, great personality. Um, you know, it's just, it's just good to see kids continue to get better and then for achieve uh, and get close to achieving what they want out of life. 
By the way, this might have gone under the radar a little bit this week since FSU played on Monday and did what they did to Virginia, but Raekwon Gray was the ACC player of the week and Scotty Barnes was the ACC freshman of the week, and there's not been many times in Florida State's history in the ACC that they've swept those awards. I, I don't even know if it's happened before. but uh, I don't was, remember it happening. I'm not going to say it's never happened before, but I don't recall it. it it's happened in the league, but specific to FSU, I don't know if it's happened, so – uh, I've had fun watching Scotty play. I think everybody has. He he does so many things that don't show up in the box score, but they disrupt the play and they turn things in your favor or they disrupt the other team. It, it, he, it It's long arms, it's basketball sense, and it's personality. He just has fun out there. I, I just hope, and I, I probably am completely off base here, but, you know, he is one that appears to enjoy playing college ball. And I hope that the folks that are visiting with him, advising him or otherwise, uh, will help him process, you know, do I, do I want to immediately go to the league and get into the business of basketball? Or is there any upside? And I don't, I don't know if there is or not, because uh, he, he may be projected as a, a first rounder. He may be projected as a lottery. You know, we haven't, haven't heard all those discussions yet. But uh, I hope he's getting good counsel because he just appears to be a kid that enjoys where he's at. That doesn't mean he shouldn't go up. That mean he shouldn't, you know, keep walking up that ladder. Um, but I hope it gets considered because he just appears to be so comfortable doing what he's doing. Well, Keith, not to burst your bubble there, and I agree with the sentiment, make an informed decision. But the first mock draft I just pulled up has him going sixth overall to the Chicago Bulls to join Patrick Williams. So what would you advise? I didn't say it was a good observation. I, I just said it was an observation. <laughs> what I'm suggesting is while he does appear to have fun, he probably has fun anytime he's on the court with the ball in his hands, whether it's wearing a Florida State uniform uh, or getting a paycheck and wearing a Chicago Bulls I'll, uniform. I'll tuck my tail and say that was a stupid comment. Moving <laughs> along, Mr. Block. No, selfishly, I'd love to see him back too. But uh, anyway, and I, that's the first one. I'm sure I could find one that has him going higher than that, right? All right, Keith, we're out of time. Uh, good show. Chase Haney was good. We could let him do this show, honestly. He's composed. He's I don't want us. him to get too good because I'd like to continue with my role and not get replaced. Thank well, you Well, I mean, I'm kind of searching around, so I'm going to have a follow-up conversation with Chase, just, just being candid here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I kid, Keith, but as soon as we get to July 1 and NLI can go on, you know, I mean, we, we can pay to bring these guys on. <laughs> well <laughs> – <laughs> Being the one that does look at the checking account and is, I'll use a term that my wife uses all the time. She said, well, where are you going to get those buttons from? Cause we're going to have to use buttons cause we don't have money. Yeah. Yeah. What you're suggesting is we're not going to be a good outlet for people that are seeking their NLI dollars. I hear you. I hear you. You're exactly right. Folks. If you'd like to change that, uh, reach out to Keith or I, <laughs> and we can make a difference. We'll do the show again next week. He's KJ. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to front row Knowles. Control.